Magenta flag, do not enter ocean. Plumes of microbes that eventually send you into the cosmic abyss? Perfect. Time for a swim. <laughs> beach especially microbes are making me sweat Gary <laughs> hold on let me take a sip I'm just feeling a little low energy for this episode almost as if something's infiltrating my body <laughs> Gary you're looking at me a little weird it looks like you're about to make some bad head trippy like decisions uh, coffee guys Welcome to episode 23, or week three, of our very first Beach Party Bonfires and Blood Month. Carrie, we have left the scientific and not-so-scientific minds of Santa Monica Beach and Blood Beach and made our way to a Shutter original beach horror film, Carrie. Uh, Port of Call is where? We're not really sure. This looks yeah. more like a mid-Atlantic northeastern North, i was gonna say northeast atlantic beach yeah and not the infamous atlantic beach in Myrtle beach <laughs> <laughs> if you know what i mean <clears throat> guys um yeah anyways forget all that uh there isn't anyone to begin with uh at this particular strand that's not so grand because in this movie it's the off season at this destination unknown and we're surrounded by a mysterious spooky underwater plume of something um no way uh parasite that's not it um it's got to be microbes in the air that inserts a parasite carry that takes over your mind making you feel sweaty queasy vomity and lightheaded if you read the label on the side of these microbes only to then eventually transform you in evolutionary fashion to some sort of sludgy slimy ugh, sea creature like thing that can only be described as a bipedal but crawling version of a jellyfish or was this whole movie carry just a really bad edible trip Carrie, don't be scared don't be scared don't be scared. Either way, guys, we're here to follow a couple of up-and-comers in the horror genre as they finally figure it out. Uh, they should have never come to the beach house where they'll be slowly consumed by the cosmic sea of infinity. Or, spoilers, that's at least how it seemingly ends. Yeah. We're going to dive right in to talk about the Shutter original. The movie posters. There's two prominent movie posters when you're talking about this one. Um, we've got... The one that most people see whenever you pull this up on Shutter or whenever you Google this sucker. Um, you've got some very interesting colors I noticed in the clouds. Yeah. Above the ocean in this soon-to-be bloody beach. And you've got the star of this film, Liana Liberato, who is peering 
just above the top of the steps heading down to the dunes. I actually prefer the next one because I think this other poster captures the feel of it actually being on an I, Atlantic I beach. I agree with you. Um, the other one's just a little too, I don't know, too simple maybe. I don't know what the words are for it, but you see the back of Leanna Liberato's character as she's looking up towards what else? The beach house. Yeah. Because for at least half of the film, that's where this film takes is this Atlantic beach house. And it almost has that Amityville yeah, look to, on, it. to it with the two lights on above. Yeah. But not, but not quite. Okay. Um, I'd like to note something about this other poster because this is a trend that a lot of movies are taking advantage of. They're putting that certified fresh rotten tomato. So I've seen a lot of mixed bag and I think maybe only half to two thirds of us really enjoyed this movie. Um, was talking about this one with Jake. I'm not sure he's going to fully agree with us on our assessment of this film. But the one thing that, Carrie, you and I and Jake, the three of us can agree on, is that you have to be in the mood for not just a, like a cosmic horror, but you got to be in the mood for a very low-energy, dialogue-heavy yes. movie, especially the dialogue in the first third of this movie. Uh, ta- <clears throat> Excuse me, guys. Tagline. See, I'm getting the microbes caught in my throat. Um, there, of course, is the one that says, wish you were here. There's something in the water. I, I actually like the wish you would hear better. Wish you would hear. <laughs> I wish, you, wish would, you would hear. I wish you would hear me I wish whenever you I'm talking. Would hear. Whenever you're talking to me, bitch, you better hear me. <laughs> you have those moments where you space out. <clears throat> What's that? And I know you're not talking or listening. You. <laughs> you're just like, uh-huh. Okay, sure. Oh, yeah. And I'm I asked, too busy. I've learned by now after almost 16 years of married marriage. <laughs> 16 being married, years of what? Being married to you. If you say, uh-huh, okay, fine. I know to ask you, what did I just say? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and sometimes I will pretend like I'm not listening just to test you. <gasps> And when I and then I know I throw you off sometimes because I will then actually repeat everything back that you just said. Yep. <clears throat> just got to keep you on your toes in this <laughs> marriage. Um, no. Back to the back to the beach party. Uh, that's not that no fun. Bonfire. <laughs> There's no bonfire. Maybe there uh, should have been. Was a there a bon? No, there was a fireplace in this movie. There was a fireplace. Okay, it counts. All right, this is as close to anything <laughs> as an energetic bonfire as we're going to get in this low, low, low energy movie. Um, Hello, can I, we go? <laughs> pretty damn low, and it's not just the mushrooms. There's something apocalyptic happening in this film. But it wasn't mush mushrooms. I thought it was. No, it was. Was it weed? Listen. Listen, I don't know. I don't pretend to know. I don't think they focused on the what of that as much. And, I, and it was interesting that I they chose. thought it was just an edible. That, yeah, maybe. It was interesting. Well, and we'll get into the characters in a little bit. One of them even asked, should we split this edible four ways? Yeah, can we cut it in fours? Yeah, so what was he talking about? They never defined I it. I wouldn't know. <clears throat> so, guys, the taglines, I don't like there's something in the water because that's too Jaws-like for me. I actually like Wish You Were Here because it gives you the feeling of a postcard. Yeah. Okay. Um, regarding creators and casts, um, this was directed by uh, Jeffrey Brown, Carrie. And um, 
Jeffrey Brown's character, I think, you know, he's a new director, but he's had a career as a location manager and a, and a location scout. Mm-hmm. So this is something that's pretty new to him behind okay. the director's chair, that is. I think he did a good job. Yeah, and, and actually a lot of people that enjoyed this one are also enjoying his other one that's a shuttle, uh, excuse me, shuttle. <laughs> that's a, shuttle. That, shuttle that, to the shutter. Shuttle to cosmic hell. Um <laughs> The Unheard, which is another Shudder original. Oh, yeah. Um, I, have, I have heard about that one. Yeah. And th- that one, there's like an experiment procedure to restore this girl's hearing. Um, she begins to like have these hallucinations related to her mom vanishing. So mm. we haven't checked that one out. But it from the looks of it, it seems to have the same type of energy. People have actually said they prefer The Unheard over the beach house so we'll have to check it out sometime but um yeah in terms of um his career you know he's done um as i said some location management and scouting i just want my pants back the harvest he was the location scout um one of them for the wolf of wall street actually carrie location manager for they came together non-stop um he was a scout for the tv series girls for a couple episodes um I never, I never got into that. I heard about that, but I yeah. never got into that. Location manager for the movie Demolition, um, Master of None. There was a movie Hands of Stone where he was a consultant. Um, the OA, he did eight episodes as a location manager um, for that TV series. He was um, the location manager for NCIS, New Orleans, and most horror hounds would probably know that he is and was the location manager for that's another low energy movie actually so this guy's kind of got a trend going here with his movies the dead don't die and actually um with with um bill murray adam driver selena gomez um that one was a lot of fun but also low energy you got to be in the mood um for for his movies that he's involved in a low energy high dialogue movie i don't mind that i don't mind it either except when you're talking about a horror i think you should either have some excellent hammy one-liners or kills or some actual creepy moments mixed yeah. in and no point yeah. in this movie was i excited by any of the dialogue like anytime she would talk um liana liberato's character would talk about her educational background and make commentary on yeah. the environment. That was the most interesting part. For yeah. Me. Um, and I, we'll get into the characters in a second, but um, just to go on a little bit more um, about Jeffrey Brown's career, Carrie, because I, I want to make sure I give him his due. Okay. Uh, assistant location manager for the taking of Pelham one, two, three, Carrie, you would like this. He was assistant location manager on the Fringe TV series that I know you enjoyed. Oh, I love that Yeah, I, I, I wanted to throw that in there because I know whenever you and I were first married, you watched fan. that religiously for a couple of years. Oh, yeah. Um, I was actually sad that ended. Yeah, Cold Souls, Diminished Capacity, P.S. I Love You, Garden of Eden. He's actually assistant location manager on the Raimi Spider-Man 3. Okay. So that was neat. Um, the Groomsman, assistant location manager out there he was a manager um and another one uh he was involved in the family stone uh, which yeah I that's a enjoyed. good one yeah it's a little bit of that's a low energy one but there's a good bit of comedy and drama mixed into that one um and some romance so guys we're gonna move right along um to some of the other creators 
for the beach house. Um, we've got, uh, also written by Jeffrey Brown, but produced by Andrew Corkin, Tyler Davidson, Sophia Lynn, um, starring who else? Leanna Liberato, uh, Noah LaGrosse. Those are two people that are really, um, kind of up and coming in the horror scene. And I'll speak about that in a minute. Marianne Nagel, uh, was the wife and Jack Weber, um, we'll get into in a little bit. Cinema- I've, I've seen him in other things. Yes. Um, and cinematography, beautiful cinematography in this yeah. Fumi. Oh, Fumi. <laughs> Owen Lavelle. See, this is continuing on from the Blood Beach episode. I'm just having, I, it must be from like the long week or something. Heat stroke. No, no heat stroke. <laughs> um, edited by Aaron Crozier. Music by Rolly Porter. Music was important here too. Production companies, Low Spark Films, Uncork Productions, and of course, as you all know, distributed by the app that we love, Shutter. Release date, it's actually been out for about going on four years now almost. Um, Running time is, uh, this actually caught my eye. When we watched this, I thought, this is feeling like an hour and 45 minute movie, like a hundred minute movie. It actually only hit the 88 minute mark. Wow. But that was a long 88 minutes they packed it with a lot of dialogue and a lot of things that you were questioning none of the scenery or dialogue um was an accident in this episode you you do have to really listen into what everybody's saying Mm -hmm. because not only does it have meaning for the character's actions or their reactions but it also is talking about a bigger environmental picture here it's social commentary on what is the right path for a young person in today's world differences generational differences thank you for that um yeah so there there's a lot to pay attention here it's not this is really you could say that this is horror adjacent if you wanted to um like if you were saying it doesn't have enough of what we mentioned earlier you could say, no, this this actually leans more towards some kind of um, drama. I wouldn't say thriller. Yeah, a low key thriller drama. Um, what was that movie with Kirsten Dunst where the moon was going to explode into the oh, Ryan Gosling? Yeah. yeah, that's what. Yeah. The, this is like a low key melancholia. Yeah, low key melancholia, not quite as sad. No. Yeah, and definitely more for horror fans. Melancholia is just like. What the, what am I watching? What am I watching? (laughs) It made me melancholy. Um, Hey guys, if you were listening to us since the beginning of our inaugural season, you know that uh, somewhere in the first 10 episodes, I think, Carrie, we actually took the kiddos to go see Scream 6. Yeah. And Liana Liberato, um, really, the more you watch that movie, the more she stands out as the movie goes on. She was really good in that movie. She was excellent. She played the the great roommate slash friend really uh, well. She was involved all the ways to the end. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and um, not going to give away any spoilers there. Scream 6, that was it's probably my third favorite movie out of the six movies. It, it kind of it skipped past four and five and three for me. Yeah, um, I, I definitely I really liked, liked it, it better than five. I mean, I enjoyed five. I enjoyed five. Five made me laugh a good bit, but it, it did get back to its roots. But at that point, it was like, okay, two movies in a row in Woodsboro. It's time for Scream to branch out again. That doesn't mean I want Hollywood again. Um, I'll be really interested to see where Scream 7 takes us. Yeah. Um, I'm 
I'm hoping that it becomes more of a containment scream. Like I've always said, they need to go to like a cabin getaway in the woods. Sort of like the I still know what you did last summer sort of deal. I think it needs to be on a farm in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, well, like a getaway, yeah. right? A getaway. Like, a, to, you know what would be like the, a hideout. There's nothing more meta to finish the next set of Scream trilogy movies than them going to like an old campground mm-hmm. Friday the 13th all the way. Yeah. Keep it to one area. Yeah. That'd actually be really super meta if they basically put themselves in a Friday 13th. Listen, this isn't a Friday 13th <laughs> episode. Damn you, Carrie. Now you're making me want to watch Scream and Friday the 13th. <laughs> um, but no, guys, Noah LaGrosse, uh, he plays Randall. Um, we'll talk about him in a little bit. He, I really felt for the Randall character throughout the entirety of this film. And Carrie, you recall when we watched this, I actually had a physical reaction watching his character. I, he He looked like he was sick to begin this movie, like almost as if, did it start affecting him before everybody else even? You know, everybody reacts to sickness yeah. different. Um, and yeah, Carrie, uh, Jake Weber is Mitch. Horror fans know him from the Dawn of the Dead remake. Okay. And, and we'll go a little bit further. Yeah. Um, we got to mention Michael Brumfield as a police officer, Matt Masto as the creature in the basement, um, Stephen Corkin as the infected neighbor. We got Dan, uh, Zacharija as the CB radio voice and Veronica Fellman on the radio. Um, no LaGrosse is Randall. Let me, let me expand on him. Um, I've got to say when you, when you work with Larry Fezzedin, you've got a foot in the door in indie horror. Yeah. So, um, there's a Larry Fezzedin movie called depraved that I think we need to check out. Cause I've okay. heard people say how much they enjoy that. Um, there's a surgeon suffering from PS, uh, PTSD that makes a man out of different body parts and brings him to life in like a Brooklyn apartment. And this um, Noah LaGrosse is in that Larry Fezzenden movie. What? No. It's called Depraved. Not That's not peaking your interest? Well, it's just like... So he's putting body parts together. Dude, it's like a Frankenstein. Like a, okay, Frankenstein. Okay, it's like a Frankenstein. I, I was misunderstanding what you were saying. I was thinking more like um, the Human Centipede, mm. which is what I thought you were saying. I was like, really? Nah, no, not like that at all. Um, you know what? And that. And speaking of Larry Fezzenden, since I brought him up, the Beach House is like a late stage mumblecore movie. Yeah. It really is. You've yeah. got a horror movie with heavy dialogue and and Jake maybe you disagree with us. It it does it does remind me of like the moments in your next where they're all sitting around the table and there's a lot of talking going on. I think if they would have taken the year next approach to sitting around at this beach house and you had little things happening, some more energy inserted with things happening outside of the beach house that they're not aware of yet that's yeah. about to happen to them. I can say I, more horror elements of the world around them. Well, I can what I can say is that when they were having dinner and they were all sitting around talking and they had the differencing in opinions and generational discussions, that was all really good and then they took the edibles and then they all went outside and were looking and they saw all the different colors like that was all really good. 
I think what you're trying to say, like that was well done. Yeah, but I, I meant the actual straight up horror of what was happening in the world around oh. them and it hadn't reached them quite yet. Like if you had the dialogue kind of um, mixed in with cuts to stuff happening to the houses and the neighbors around them see, so we could actually have more body horror elements in this mm. because I'm going to tell you, I actually have a little tiny eensy bit of a tiff with them inserting the edible angle because I think it just muddied no pun intended, muddied the waters. Um, because it's like, okay, yeah, by the end of the movie, we know that this is an actual thing happening worldwide. But to begin with, they started the movie with making you question what's happening from the sea and the environment and what's because of the, the edibles. But I think, I think though, if you're following based off the characters, if you're sure. looking at the characters and looking at their thought, this is very much character-driven. Yeah, no, I, I get it. And I'm so just you're saying. getting the point of view of the characters. Yeah. So in that way, I can see, okay, they're making the characters question what they're really seeing. Yeah, that's true. No, you, you made a really good point. And I guess I just got, I got wrapped up with like, from the audience perspective, like we know pretty quickly from the beginning of the movie when the plume comes up from the yeah. the bed of the ocean. You know something's wrong. And it's just like, okay, if we're going to go here and we're going to comment like, what are they seeing? What are they not seeing? What's real and what's not? If we're going to really dive deep into dialogue into this type of movie, I still think all the dialogue could have been... And this is only 88 minutes. They could have spared another five to seven minutes of two or three more neighbor kills to give this inject yeah. some energy into this movie. Yeah. And I so, think you're not wrong in that sense. I think, I think if there was a little bit more added to it, yeah. With mm -hmm. the, the neighbors, like you cut to a different neighbor and you see something while they're, like you said, while they're having dinner. I, I'm just going to switch back um, to, to the leading lady, Leona Liberato as Emily. I, I, again, I think she was wonderful in scream six um, AKA Ghostface Takes Manhattan or Ghostface Maniac or Ghostface Hearts NYC. <laughs> Carrie. Or Ghostface uh, Stalker. Yeah, Carrie, 2022, the year before this year, obviously, <laughs> was the best year in horror since 1981. Do you agree? Uh, yeah. I, I mean. Uh -huh. And who was your favorite horror actress from 1981, Carrie? Amy Steele. Okay. 40 or so odd years from now, people are going to be looking back. And saying Liana Liberato was one of my horror favorites. She's in a Shutter original. She's in a key role in Scream Six. That's it, uh, Liana. You can call yourself a Scream Queen forever after just these two roles. No, I'm no. The Scream role is a big, big deal. It is, and okay. she was excellent in it. She really was. And I'm gonna go on a hunch that she's not done with horror yet. I, I was just gonna say I would like to see her in a Yala. Ooh, you want to bring back some Jallos, yeah. do you? She would be great in yeah. a Jallo. Ooh, I really like that take on Miss Liberato. That is really cool. Um, let's talk about Jake Weaver for a second. Off the top of my mind, not only the 2004 Snyder Dawn of the Dead remake, the most original Dawn of the Dead fans love, actually, including us. Um, I recall him in U571. Um, and he was the asshole in Meet Joe Black. That's where I remember. <laughs> yes. That's where I remember him. Yes. Yeah. So um, 
that when you see him in a movie, he's probably going to say and do something that either makes you say, what the fuck, or what a dick. And it's funny because the most horror-esque movie that he's done, he actually you actually like him for yeah. a change. Here, he's kind of somewhere in between somebody that's likable and a bit of a bit of a quizzical douche. I, I'm not... He's not as big of an asshole as a Meet Joe Black I or U571. I was going to say, he's taking care of an ailing wife that he clearly in this movie, you feel the love between them. So I'm nitpicking him now because he was super judgmental of Randall's character because <laughs> he knew his dad. He and knew everything. his dad. He was commenting on where he was in his life throughout this entire film. Because. It's like, like, I fucking need another dad. <laughs> because it's his, basically his dad's best friend. You get the feeling. No. Used to be. Used to he be. hadn't worked with him in 20 years. That's true. However, they were good enough friends for him for him and his wife to be there. Okay, well, for that's... For a while. That's a good point. For a good while. So, knowing all of that, knowing that he grew up, wouldn't you suspect that maybe he was a bit hard on him because he knew he was capable of more? Yeah. And I, was trying I, to push him to know that he's capable of more. So this is where, for a horror podcast, it's like we could go really deep into the weeds and the dialogue in this film, and I think that's what that's what starts agitating me. It's like, okay, what does this movie want to be? Because I we're, and we're not a podcast that likes to put a movie inside like a neat, perfect box. No. Like we've talked about plenty of horror adjacent films. Yeah. We've talked about ones that are more family friendly, but with a low energy one like this, I mean, you have to talk about the dialogue. That's what this movie is all about. It's just, I want to be entertained and I could see the potential with a movie like this. And it's just like, God, if it just, if it just had more kills, I already get that this Randall guy is not in a good place. I don't want to keep diving too deep on a character that's actually making me physically sick throughout the entire film. It's kind of like, okay, that's five minutes of dialogue about where he's at in his life. Is there something freaking scary, creepy, and cool about to happen or some special effects? And I know it's that obviously wasn't but the point of this film. It's the atmosphere. They're I building just, an atmosphere. What they did show from practical effects towards the was end really was really well good. done. Yeah. And I thought, God, just like another three to five moments of that throughout this movie. Would have and it, it would have bumped this up. The energy you could up. have had because you're next. I'm going to go back to that. Had a lot of dialogue, but it had a lot of energy to it too. It probably had more of a budget, if you think about it. Yeah. Oh, well, reg- but regardless, so there's plenty of people with almost no budgets that have a high energy yeah. movie, like you know, Never Hike Alone. Yeah. That's a high energy, you know, fan made film. Yeah. And and not, I mean, that's kind of apples and oranges with a yeah. production like this, but. I would probably rewatch that fan-made short film more than I would this because I I actually am, you know, get a kick out of that versus this. And I guess it just depends on what mood you're in whenever you're watching a movie. Yeah, I think it also depends on your personality too. I think yeah. this is a movie that your personality definitely. Careful, Carrie. Careful. What? <laughs> She's about to say this is a thinking person's movie. No, I guess I'm not a thinking person. I wasn't gonna say that. I was going to say your personality would determine what you get out of this movie. Yes. That's what I was going to say. Yes. Um, 
here's another element that's missing from this movie. And, and forget about horror, the creep factor, special effects kills. Forget about all that for a second. There's no romance. There's no almost no romance in this film. Mm. You can't sit here and tell me that they had fantastic chemistry. It's, most of the movie is her like, is he okay? Look at all these prescriptions. What the hell? What, this I, guy's got some problems. And it was I, like, God, if, if even if there was like some intimacy that was like wow look at their chemistry then that could actually facilitate more dialogue i would have said in the beginning there was a little chemistry in the Mm. beginning in the very beginning there was a little chemistry i'll tell you what the scene where they're having dinner the chemistry between the husband and wife (laughs) yeah but i'm talking about the young couple that this movie centers around you don't have to just have it between the young couple in fact, I think the quite opposite. It played into the young couple, clearly, who weren't going to make it together. Well, that's they're definitely not heading. making it after the microbes get to them. <laughs> but no, that's where this was heading to. Yeah. Like the husband and wife, you could see the closest. They're touching each other as they're talking. They're having little intimate moments in between eating and, and, and drinking. And You know what? You make a good point because what happens... By the end of this film, as they're clearly going to die, it actually pulls them closer together. Mm-hmm. Now, we can go on and on about apocalyptic movies, end-of-the-world horror movies, where events, like even war movies, events, terrible events, will force naturally force people to want to stick together and be together. In times of horror and war, people find each other to comfort and be there for each other. So... The wife was dying. Mm-hmm. The husband was trying to appreciate her. They didn't really, they weren't on the same page about anything. You could tell they were kind of agitated. There was friction between them. But by the end of the movie, the more horrific the movie got and the events that they yeah. went through, the actually the more Closer. they started going together. Yeah. So that's another commentary on age, maturity, mm-hmm. going through some trials together. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately for a young couple, it's just too little too late. Yeah. Um, Carrie, who is, speaking of characters, who is your favorite character in this movie? Liana Liberato as Emily. Yeah. I I love your idea for her to be an Anjalo. I'm telling you, it would be perfect. It would be. Um, I'm going to go with Noah LaGrosse as Randall. And what a what an appropriate last name for this movie. Um, I'm surprised. No, because... The physical of, reaction? Because the physical reaction yeah. I had to this movie... He actually, at one point, you saw me whenever we were watching this movie. I was like clenching, when, like my fist was near my stomach. outside in that point. And where he, he was, was sweaty like, and sweaty. clammy yeah, and cold. And you, I actually started like, like, oh, God, I feel awful watching this guy. I, I was waiting for you to like pass out. Like, no, I was like, not. I didn't have that. I know what you're saying. Yeah. I've, I've got the vasovagal thing, guys, but... Um, I've slowly gotten over it over 40 years. That's That's been fun. It actually didn't start until I was about 12 or 13. Uh, and then it was really bad until basically we had kids and then it started getting yeah. better since then. It, it takes a lot. I actually get to the point now, well, we could go into how the kids were born and everything. <laughs> I'll spare everybody the gory details, but... When you witness your wife's C-section and her body looks like a magician, you know, broken into two separate parts, and you see way down into the cavern that is your wife's 
cavity. <laughs> uh, you can get over little shots and stuff that have affected me over time. But um, no, yeah, he did a great job of looking like not only did he have personal problems and he was lost. That's another thing about yeah. this movie. These are the typical lost 20-somethings. Yeah. That's very much a thing in your 20s. You feel you can. Not everybody. You, a lot of people feel lost. They don't know which way to go to that, but he made me actually physically clench and feel ill for a few moments. And it's been a long time since I've had a physical reaction to a movie. And again, you have the generational differences. You have the older married couple who are like, you know, just sitting there relaxing, trying to enjoy a last moment together before she basically dies. Mm-hmm. You know, I think they allude to that. She's got like cancer or something, something that yeah terminal terminal yeah. It's, it's a terminal disease whatever it is speaking of terminal carrie favorite death and effects uh emily's death at the very end uh, i do love that don't it be ended afraid. don't be afraid don't be afraid don't be afraid and then waves come in and consumer into the infinity into yes. the abyss yes speaking of the abyss oh, yeah <laughs> i love that movie before before i go on to my favorite death and effect <laughs> Let me add that we've been on, and I, I've talked to you guys, dear listeners, over the course of the first season so far. We're about halfway through now, our first season, Carrie. That's insane. Um, no, we actually are officially through yeah. our, halfway through our season. We've got, we're at episode 23, and we've got 45 total episodes. I think maybe some bonus here and there to round out the season. But um, yeah, <clears throat> I've talked about how my uh, dvd collection with carrie um we decided not we no I just, you decide let's be clear <laughs> as soon as it came out it of my wasn't mouth, we it was you as soon as i yeah as soon as it came out of my mouth i knew i flubbed up there no the truth is is that i when we had kids and they were you know up until the time they were probably about four or five they had so much stuff now it's all about like we- tablets and alexa and asked family members to stop buying please stop buying because everything our kids into were the ginormous play sets that took like the whatever camper set glamper camper thing that took up one whole corner of an entire like i swear some of their stuff stuff in some of their stuff took up a good 25 to 50 square feet of space i'm not joking when your daughter when your like three-year-old daughter is obsessed with doc mcstuffins You've got the kitchen, yes. and you've got the vet poochie repair yes. station, or what? I could go on and on. Oh about my god! All the toys, but I was like, I can't. When when they were born, and even before, like when we had all the bottles and the formula and the diapers and the clothes and the crib and the blah 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 blah. It was like I can't. We're running out of room. I gotta get rid of stuff. And one of those things was like, I will keep the DVDs and Blu-rays in an album a zip up album but i can't keep these boxes we need the room and you were like you sure you don't yeah i told you you i tried talking don't do it don't do it i I told you i did it and i I said you'll regret it sure enough i did so anyways we've we've got all those movies and albums and that's great if we want to pull one out but we've started over the past month rebuilding it and we've been on this kick um speaking of the abyss where the past couple of weekends here we've been uh going out and ordered some nice limited edition stuff off of amazon or ebay for as cheap as i can find it but um like the the living dead at manchester morgue or um beyond tenebrae or beyond the door three or suspiria but then 
then we've been finding good deals on hammer films and we'll go to uh, like the dollar store or a thrift store and we'll um we'll find some really good ones for 2.99 we found the limited edition like what is it like three or four discs of the abyss Uh -uh. and we open up this it's just dvd it's not blu-ray and i think it was like six seven bucks and we open it up and inside of it um (laughs) is this printout from 20 years ago it's dated february 2003 of somebody from the dvd easter eggs.com printed out instructions how to get these secret easter egg menu items from the abyss i'm like this is like two pages of like like nine point font i'm like i feel like it's a challenge i'm not i feel like it's a challenge my oh my how far we've come (laughs) from having to go to a website and reading two pages of something to figure (laughs) out the easter eggs it would probably be three bullets at the top of google at this point (laughs) but um get chat gtp to, to figure it out for us <laughs> the ai is going to take over the dvd easter eggs just give it that job and it won't take over the world um no but seriously the um it, it the, so the, I, I got off track with the dvd thing but um death and effects before i go too far off track uh mine is the jack weaver who just decides i'm gonna take a little swim i'm gonna walk out into the sea I thought that that was the moment when the cosmic element of this film began. And he, like our leading lady, was just absorbed by the endlessness. Let me tell you, he got really far, though, before he was absorbed. <laughs> like, I was, like, thinking, before like... Before he drowned himself? <laughs> but no, like, I was thinking, like, how far is he going to go? Maybe there was a big sandbar where he was. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> We're, like, trying to debate the the depth and distance of Jack Weaver's <laughs> absorption and death into the cosmic like, horror. For a minute though, I thought they were just going to just show him just keep going and keep going, keep going, keep going. But then it's like, it got to a point and he just boom. Yep. Um, was, was that the point of where the plume was coming from? Maybe. I just got the sense that it was, it was in the ocean coming up through the ocean in the air. It was just that those um, creatures, those mollusk-like things on the beach were releasing it, coming out of the water, making sure that it spread. That That's mm. my take on all that. I think it's open for interpretation. Mm. Um, <clears throat> Carrie, let's move right along to top 10, the beach house moments. Number 10. Uh, I would say the arrival um, to the beach house when things are just a little too quiet, even for an off-season. How about you, Carrie? How about number nine? Number nine. Emily noticing that not that they're not the only ones there. But there's not but, only a huge amount of drugs. Yeah, in the bathroom of the beach house. Yeah, that one, when she, she notices, first she notices the, the drugs. Mm-hmm. And then she's thinking, okay, is Randall, has Randall been living here? And then you realize it's a different <coughs> name. And you're like wondering, what the hell? And then she checks the fridge. Like, that was definitely a scene, like, who the fuck's been living here? No one's supposed to be here. Yeah. Um, number eight, Mitch and his wife. Just when Emily is trying to get herself out of an awkward at best situation, he invites her and her boyfriend to stay for dinner. And you could just tell the look on both of their faces that they were rather probably would have left. Yeah. So, um, Carrie, how about number seven? Uh, when they split 
the edibles causing an evening of trippy moments that make you wonder where exactly does the horror begin? Mm-hmm. At number six of our top 10 beach house moments, the mollusk-like alien cosmic thingies appear on the shore. Mm-hmm. Um, those things evolution. were so strange. Um, Carrie, how about number five? Shortly afterward, she sees the eye growing out of the side of her foot. Now, that was a neat effect. Yes. Or so she thinks. She then pulls a parasite from her foot. Very Cronenberg body horror-like moment. Yes. Uh, that was definitely a cool practical effect, mm-hmm. I, I would think. Like, that might that, be in somebody's top two or three. Yeah. Uh, number four. I'm going with something very simple here. The emergency action message noise on the TV telling us that this isn't just an isolated, trippy incident. Carrie, how about number three? Uh, It's followed up by her being in the cop car on the CB where they let us all know that the infection. The microbial infection. It's a microbial infection, yeah. Mm -hmm. Number two, I'm going with Randall's death by the slimy consumed human. The the creature thing in the basement. That was gnarly as hell. That was was definitely the best effect out of the entire movie for me. And and, and my my top, Mm -hmm. don't be scared. Don't be scared. Don't be scared. At number one. And the waves just are on the shoreline. They're just consuming her into the sea where I guess she becomes part of the endless amount of microbes. You know, she wanted to study. Mm -hmm. So she actually became part of the study. Everyone dies. Mm -hmm. Is that her saying, don't be, don't be scared? Or is that? No, that's her. She said it to Randall. No, I, I know that. But is that a message from the beyond taking her over and saying, relax, just let it happen. No, I think it was when she was telling Randall, when he was being taken over, she's saying, don't be scared. Don't be scared. Don't be scared. Don't be scared. She was telling her, it was basically her anxiety about being taken. Mm -hmm. She kind of was like giving in Yep. and not fighting it anymore. Carrie, what do you rate Shutter Original, The Beach House? Uh, I would say a three out of five. Yeah. I, there was moments uh, that were hard to see. Um, some parts were visually stunning, though. Mm-hmm. Um, Agreed. You know, I get it, you know, the fog or the microbes or whatever. But it doesn't have to be like that in every microbial fog moment. There was just like, it made it very hard to see. Yeah. In certain moments. But other parts were beautiful and stunning. Yeah, I agree with everything that you said. Um, You know, I I just think that I'm going to give this a three out of five. The couple in the beginning, I just don't think were necessary whatsoever. I'm just throwing that out there. Okay. Um, I I told you the, the dialogue eventually was like, okay, let's get moving. That being said, I like our lead actress. I, I told you I had a physical reaction. Um, I saw so much queasiness and sweaty clamminess that, again, guys, I started clenching my gut. Not too many movies do that to me lately, and not too many movies get my head going. Now, my only real quip is similar to yours, but they should have defined the threat a little bit more. Too many questions sometimes is not some heady, elevated horror. It's just confusing, at least for me. And can someone make a horror movie where the cosmic elements are not this magenta color? Oh, there's a cosmic horror element. Insert magenta. Are you telling me there is not something cosmically 
horrific um, about other colors. Like, wh- what's up with the Barbie color every time that we're in a cosmic horror? Uh, Chitulu is not magenta, okay? The ancient ones are not magenta. I want to see darkness. I want to see the void. I want to be horrified. Give me dark greens, reds, blacks. Uh, I want to see the darkness, okay? Give me grays even. I'll take gray. Give me something I rarely, rarely see outside of Fulci. Yellow and orange colors and goo. Evil Dead Rise, Carrie, gave us back something we hadn't had yeah. in 40 years. White goo. Yeah. Please, guys. Anything with cosmic horror, can we stop using pinkish purple magenta lighting and goo? I, I'm over the magenta thing. Well, it's been happening since Mandy, and I'm over yeah. it. Okay, I'm done with your pinks, hot pinks, pinks bleeding into purple. Make it stop. I like it, but too much of a downer. I can't imagine the movie being longer because it's just that depressing. But it is a little fun, too. Um, left me with a weird feeling, which I guess is the point. Yeah. I give it a three I, out of five. I, listen. I'm going to address the magenta thing. Magenta is a very common color with sunsets. Thinking about it. Okay. It's a very natural Where are you color. Going with this? So I think. No. If you read Lovecraft, it's supposed to represent a color that the. And obviously, we can't do it here in this existence. It's supposed to represent a color that the human eye can't see. So they mm. get something that people usually don't use in things, which is mm. magenta. I'm gonna have to hard disagree with well, let's you. Let's come across, yeah, whatever. <laughs> she doesn't like. She doesn't like that. I have a separate opinion of hers. God, this feels totalitarian for me. <laughs> did you really have to bring Barbie into it, though? Yeah, I I did. Barbie belonged in this Beach House episode. No, <laughs> Barbie's Barbie, Beach House. Bar- Barbie, Barbie's mouth. Barbie Barbie's would Malibu not. Beach House. Barbie would not survive in this Beach House. <sighs> Barbie's too bubbly. There's some kind of dumb joke I can make in there, Don't. but I'm not going to. Um, just stop it with a magenta and cosmic horror. Like, okay, the color out of space. Mandy. Um, this movie. Like, not everything that comes from the cosmos has can to be Can we do pinkish. like a blue? Like a turquoise blue? Come on. I'm just like, anytime you think of like Chitulu, it's gr- he's green. Like... There's just so, give me the evil colors. I don't I don't want this pinkish thing anymore. It's been overdone to death for the past five to seven years. I'm, I, that's all. It's my little rant mm. on magenta and cosmic horror. Um, guys, I, I know what color I'm getting you for your next birthday. What? <laughs> what? Magenta. If I see magenta on my birthday, I guess that means I'm going to die soon. But uh, guys, that brings us to, yeah, you did the math. Of course, three out of five wet and wild bloody towel whips. Um, Guys, that does it for us, for our comfy horror movie review for The Beach House. Definitely check this one out. Got to be in the mood for a lot of dialogue, though. That's that's the one thing that we can agree on. Um, That brings us to intermission. Uh, Next week. We've got Jake the Midnight Traveler on with us for an entire episode where we're talking his favorite werewolf movie, The Howling. And pretty soon, after Beach Party Bonfires and Blood Month, we're moving right along across the Atlantic, away from the beach house, to the island of the UK. Or multiple islands, I should say. Um, Where we're going to talk Taste of the UK, four horror movies, in and around and regarding characters and shit that goes down 
in Scotland, England. I'm trying to think about this. Is there Ireland in our movies? I have to go back and check. But anyways, you get it. Um, what do we got for Taste of the UK? I know we've got an American Werewolf in London. Yeah. I know we've got the Omen. We've got the BBC Ghost Watch. Italy. Because the Omen, you go to Italy. Yeah, but we're talking about the UK, Carrie. I know. Okay. Well, you were talking He's about the ambassador like, where they go. To Great Britain. Focus for on the UK. I don't care about... Listen, you're on this Jalo kick lately. You need to get out of it. We're t- we got to move Never. on to bangers and mash and foggy moors. The foggy moors, Carrie. Okay. You're never going to get me to eat bangers and mash. Okay. Well, Jake might have to have a, a talk with you about bangers and mash because apparently he eats a lot of it with garlic so he can ward off vampires. I guess you weren't paying attention to him in the last episode. Oh, no, I was. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. Case and Carrie. Hey, ever wonder what kind of movie David Cronenberg would make if he was drunk and on a massive amount of downers? Hello, my heat-soaked children of the night. It's Jake, the Midnight Traveler, once again here to share the thoughts on another piece of scary cinema for all to enjoy. Or not. As of this writing, my travels have me in a location that is feeling all the ramifications of the season and every impact that man has made on the planet in a not-so-pleasant way. In other words... I'm sweating my balls off in triple-digit heat and hoping that the AC doesn't crap out on me. Wouldn't it be nice if I could swim in a cool blue ocean while strong sea winds relieve my overheated person enough so that I stop wondering how much rent will cost me in Alaska? Sure would. Well, since it's that time of year, up here in the northern hemisphere, why don't we head to the beach? And while we're at it, why don't we watch something scary that mirrors that setting? Surely there's something cool that fits that description, right? Well, this one ain't it. As I've mentioned earlier, uh, some of the films that we are covering here at Dying for Midnight are ones that have slipped under my radar, and it was the efforts of you two crazy kids that brought them to me for my viewing pleasure slash pain. One of these films I had to look at this week was The Beach House, a recent effort from writer-director Jeffrey A. Brown that deals with a strange infection coming from the sea and the chaos that surrounds it. Cast with relative unknowns and a bare-bones setting, it has potential to be a great film, being that it's unburdened by too many bells and whistles and just goes at it with the essentials. I genuinely admire that in my films, and I was really kind of looking forward to it. Here's the plot. Global warming has caused microbes to be released into the ocean and the air, and boy, does it wreak havoc on us humans. We start to rot and eat each other and drown ourselves and countless other terrible things, and you kind of know where this is going, don't you? The problem is, is that all of that cool stuff doesn't happen until you have to sit through a bunch of dialogue between the four protagonists, who to me are kind of bland and not really worth that much consideration. Um, The characters themselves are kind of like the sun-bleached interior of an actual neglected beach house. 
No dimensions, no interest, no flair. Just all faded and washed out. <laughs> the body horror stuff, I'll admit, is pretty cool. The effects were decent, but considering how late into the film they actually appeared, it all seemed like way too little and way too late. Pretty much by the time of the film's dark conclusion, I was looking at the timer to see when it would be up. Too slow, too meandering, and just not enough jump and fire here for me. I will reiterate, the bones of this film are strong. I like the environmental message that it's trying to get across, which is genuinely terrifying. But I just feel that the execution was botched and could have been more enjoyable for the viewer in so many ways. I guess you can't win them all, even here on Dying for Midnight. Truth be told, this is far from the worst movie I've ever seen or will see, but I have to be honest in my assessment. I want to like things, which in itself makes me a terrible critic because we know that critics love nothing more than to spread hate and vitriol to all over the world like a plague of microbes that slowly drive you mad. And oh my God, am I too late? Stop it. See you next midnight. Jake. Okay, guys, we are coming back real soon. Stick around for horror, etc. Carrie's going to give us her thoughts and read a little bit from Stephen King's The Cell. What is it? Say, what is it? Hey, why it's buttercup. Popcorn and sweet cream butter to hot popcorn. Mix it up, wrap it up, buttercup is born. It's delicious. So nutritious. It's a taste delight. It's so munchy. Crisp and crunchy. You'll enjoy each bite. Eat butter drenched buttercup. Popcorn at its best. Served in a king-size cup. Show starts in nine minutes. Here's a new taste treat. The corn dog. Plump, juicy wieners are dipped in a thick, golden, southern-style corn batter that seals in all their freshness and flavor. If you like hot dogs, you love corn dogs. Everybody does. Try a corn dog with your favorite beverage. At the refreshment corner now. Corn dogs. Show starts in eight minutes. Okay, guys, welcome back to Horror Etc. We just got done talking about. Liana Liberato, starring in Shutter Original, The Beach House. And now we are back for Horror Etc., where Carrie is going to talk about Stephen King's The Cell. Carrie, what do you, what do you like about Stephen King's The Cell? I've never read it. Um, so it's a very interesting concept. Concept about uses of cell phones and how we connect to people through the cell phone, like especially in emergencies. Mm-hmm. So, in case of emergency, who's your number one contact? You. Yeah. And then your the dog. <laughs> and then the dog. What's your number two? You and the dog. Who does number two work for? 
It's actually my mom, I think. Okay. Yeah. If you keep annoying me, mom, that's going to change. <laughs> I'm just joking. No. You're not on my speed dial anymore. <laughs> this is a Seinfeld moment. <laughs> well, what number are you on the speed dial? Oh, I'm at number three. How'd you get that high? I'm only at number nine. <laughs> that could be a Seinfeld episode. It is a Seinfeld yeah. episode. That's what I'm saying. <gasps> oh, God, the microbes got to you. Ooh. <laughs> See, I Don't told, be scared. I told Don't you be the beach house was low energy. You're like, oh, yeah, I guess they did. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be scared. I'm Don't not be scared. scared. Okay, so the cell. Yes. And it's actually a search for a father for his son. Hey, Carrie. Huh? Guess what I just realized about the cell. What? Who was in the cell of the movie? <laughs> Jennifer. Lopez, Lopez. and And... Uh-huh. Look at the cast. Google the cast, man. Really? Yeah, really, man. No, you you need to Google the cast. We need a live reaction to who's in the Cell movie. Because I'm going to bring this back around. I'm going to bring it right back around. <laughs> uh-huh. Say his name, Carrie. <laughs> Hold on, just give me a minute. <laughs> Vince Vaughn. <laughs> oh, Jack Weber. Oh, okay. Yes, now Carrie. I see it. Uh-huh. You're welcome, Carrie. Okay. Uh-huh. All right. I did not see. Not intentional. It was so intentional by me. You're welcome. <laughs> okay. It's three degrees of Jack Reaper. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. So Cell by Stephen King. And on the front cover it says, Your number is up. Is there a like a description like from the back of the book at all? Really? It's okay. You don't have to read it if you don't want to. No. God, those microbes are making you mean. Not mean. You're just taken over by microbes. All right. So, chapter one. The event that came to be known as The Pulse began at 3.03 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the afternoon of October 1st. The term was a misnomer, of course, but within 10 hours of the event, most of the scientists capable of pointing this out were either dead or insane. The name hardly mattered in any case. What mattered was the effect. At three o'clock on that day, a young man of no particular importance of history came walking, almost bouncing east along Boyston Street in Boston. His name was Clayton Riddell. There was an expression of undoubted contentment on his face to go along with the spring in his step. From his left hand, there swung the handles of an artist's portfolio, the kind that closes and latches to make a traveling case. Twined around the fingers of his right hand was a drawstring of a paper, brown plastic shopping bag with the words, small treasures, printed on it for anyone who cared to read them. Inside the bag, swinging back and forth, was a small round object at present. You might have guessed, and you would have been right. You might further have guessed that this Clayton Riddell was a young man seeking to commemorate some small, or perhaps even not so small, victory with a small treasure. And you would have been right again. The item inside the bag was a rather expensive glass paperweight with a gray haze of dandelion fluff, caught in its center. 
He had bought it on his walk back down from Copley Square Hotel to the much humbler Atlantic Avenue Inn where he was staying, frightened by the $99 price tag on the paperweight space, somehow even more frightened by the realization that he could now afford such a thing. Handing his credit card over to the clerk had taken almost physically courage. He doubted if he could have done it if the paperweight had been for himself. He would have muttered something about having changed his mind and scuttled out of the shop, but it was for Sharon. Sharon liked such things, and she still liked him. I'm pulling for you, baby, she said the day before he left for Boston, considering the shit they'd put each other through over the last year that had touched him. Now he wanted to touch her, if that was still possible. The paperweight was a small thing, a small treasure, but he was sure she loved that delicate gray haze deep down in the middle of the glass, like a pocket fog. Chapter two, Clay's attention was attracted by the tinkle of an ice cream truck. <laughs> ice cream trucks tinkle? I, well, I guess I guess that meant the... The song. No, I, I got it. Yeah. Tinkle, tinkle, little star. <laughs> Don't tinkle on my ice cream, little star. What's happening to me, star? You're tinkling. <laughs> I'm going to start over because of that. You're welcome. Chapter two. Clay's attention was attracted by the tinkle of an ice cream. <laughs> God damn it. Hee <laughs> God damn you, boy humor. What in the hell is boy humor? Our son. Come on. Oh, you're commenting on my maturity. I got you. All right. All right. I'm going to kick you out to the Four Seasons Hotel pretty soon. Read on. It was parked across from... (laughs) (laughs) Where? Where was it parked across from? The Four Seasons Hotel. Which was even grander than the Copley Square, next to the Boston Common, which ran along Boyston for two or three blocks on this side of the street. The words Mr. Softy were printed in rainbow colors over a pair of dancing ice cream cones. Three kids were clustered around the window, boat bags at their feet, waiting to receive goodies. Behind them stood a woman in a pantsuit <coughs> with a poodle on the leash and a couple of teenage girls in lowrider jeans with iPods and earphones that were currently slung around their necks, so they could murmur together earnestly, no giggles. Clay stood behind them, turning what would have been a little group into a short line. He had bought his estranged wife a present. He would stop at Comic Supreme on the way home and buy his son the new issue of Spider-Man. He might as well treat himself as well. He was bursting to tell Sharon his news, but she'd be out of reach until she got home, 3.45 or so. He thought he would hang around the inn at least until he talked to her, mostly pacing the confines of his small room and looking at his latched-up portfolio. In the meantime, Mr. Softy made an acceptable diversion. The guy in the truck served the three kids at the window two dilly bars and a monster chocolate and vanilla swirl soft serve cone for the big spender in the middle who was apparently paying for all of them while he fumbled a rat's nest of dollar bills from the pocket of his fashionably baggy jeans 
The woman with the poodle. <laughs> wow, is this dated? I know. The woman in the with the poodle in the power suit dipped into her her shoulder bag, came out with her cell phone. Women in power suits would no more leave home without their cell phones than without their Amex cards and flipped it open. Behind them in the park, a dog barked and someone shouted. It did not sound to Clay like a happy shout, but when he looked over his shoulder, all he could see were a few, a few strollers, a dog trotting with a frisbee in its mouth. Weren't they supposed to be on leashes in there? He wondered. Acres of sunny green and inviting shade. It looked like a good place for a man who had just sold his first graphic novel and its sequel, both for an amazing amount of money, <laughs> to sit and eat a chocolate ice cream cone. <coughs> when he looked back, the three kids and the baggies were gone, and the woman in the power suit was ordering a sundae. One of the two girls behind her had a peppermint-colored phone clipped to her hip, and the woman in the power suit had her screwed into her ear. Clay thought, as he almost always did, of his mind or another when he saw a variation of this behavior that he was watching an act, which would once have been considered almost insufferably rude. Yes, even while engaging in a small bit of commerce with a total stranger, becoming part of accepted everyday behavior. Put it in dark wanderer, sweetheart, Sharon said. The version of her he kept in his mind spoke often and was bound to have her say. This was true of the real world Sharon as well, separation or no separation, although not on his cell phone. Clay didn't own one. The peppermint-colored phone played with opening notes of that crazy frog tune that Johnny loved. Was it called Axel F? Clay couldn't remember, <laughs> perhaps because he blocked it out. The girl to whom the phone belonged snatched it off her hip and said, Beth. She listened, smiled. Then she said to her companion, It's Beth. Now the other girl bent forward and they both listened nearly identical pixie haircuts. To Clay, they looked almost like Saturday morning cartoon characters, like the Powerpuff Girls, maybe, blowing together in the afternoon breeze. Maddie said the woman in the power suit at almost exactly the same time. Her poodle was now sitting contemplatively at the end of its leash. The leash was red and dusted with glittery stuff, looking at the traffic of, on Boyston Street. Across the way at the Four Seasons, a doorman in a brown uniform, they always seemed to be brown or blue, was waving, probably for a taxi. A duck boat crammed with tourists called sail by, looking high and out of the place on dry land. The driver bawling into his loud hailer about something historic. The two girls, listening to the peppermint-colored phone, looked at each other and smiled at something they were hearing, but still did not giggle. Maddie, can you hear me? Can you? The woman in the power suit raised a hand holding the leash and plugged a long-nailed finger into her free ear. Clay winced fearing for her eardrum. He imagined drawing her, the dog on the leash, the power suit, the fashionably short hair, and one small trickle of blood around the finger in her ear, the duck boat just exiting the frame, the doorman in the background, those things somehow lending the sketch its, its verisimilitude. They would. It was. Just a thing you knew. Maddie, you're breaking up. 
I just wanted to tell you, I got my hair done at the new, my hair, my. Okay, guys, that wraps it up for horror, etc. That was, Carrie read us about a chapter and a half there. That second, the first chapter was so short and that second one gets so dang long after that. Um, we're going to continue chapter two of the cell in next week's beach party bonfires and blood month episode. Um, reminder, we've got Jake on for a longer episode where we're going to talk the howling. Love you guys. Carrie, thanks for that little preview of Stephen King's The Cell. It really is a good book. Yeah, it, it, it really caught my attention. Um, I, the premise didn't sound great, but the way that it's written, I mean, it's Stephen and, King. And actually, Ghostly Popper, she's been asking for a more adult book to read. And this is actually one that she could. Yeah, because she could read Misery, too. I she think could. she would enjoy this one, one more. The one she can't read that we have is Christine. No, she's she not ready cannot, for that. No. Too much teen stuff going yes. on in, in there. But uh, guys, we love you. See you next week. Peace out.